Janine just asked me to let you know that Robert Henderson, um, the author of, he's got three books out now on the courts of heaven. The third one is just out and it's on um, releasing healing through the courts of heaven. That I think that's a brilliant book because in it he's got prayers for how to break off dedications, cut covenants, break off covenants and all of that. And you can change it from healing to finances or whatever. He's on the Gold Coast, June 1, 2 and 3, but he's here in Melbourne at Catch the Fire, 30 Star Crescent Hallam on Friday the 22nd through to the 24th. So um, for those of you who want to come up later, there's Janine's phone number so you can get you the, d the details. This month, June, June. June. Is, uh, spending most of June in Australia. Wow. Yes. He, st he starts on the 1st and he's got most of this month in Australia. Uh, for those of you who are interested in um, the curses, um, this is from his second book, Unlocking Destinies. Um, and don't go in a panic if you think, oh my gosh, that's me. It's okay. Jesus came to, you know, cut the curse, it's all right. But these are some of the things. Uh, negative mindset and mentality. Uh, that's most of Australia. <laughs> um, it, it's something that, the second one is something you can't quite seem to escape from. No matter where you go, what you try, you just can't get away from financial loss, ill health. It's just one key area in your life. It's like an Achilles heel. You just can't get away from it. The third one is that you have no vision for life. Uh, and these, these are recurring patterns. It's not a one-off. Sometimes we don't have a vision, you know, for a little bit. But this is a recurring pattern. So a curse is not a once-off. It's a recurring pattern. The fourth one is breakdown of marriages and homes. The fifth one is children being taken captive. And um, being taken captive could be through drugs, um, hostile relationships, things like that. That is a curse. Um, alcohol, video games, whatever. The sixth one is poverty. Recurring cycle of poverty. Not being able to become prosperous no matter how hard you try. Uh, the seventh one is sicknesses that can't be healed. Like a spirit of infirmity that just latches on and no matter doctors can't seem, you can't quite get the healing. Or it could be a terminal illness. But it's a recurring thing in either you or your family. Um, the eighth one is no anointing or a diminishing anointing. So you might pray and you might be in the presence of God, but there's just no anointing. There's just, you know how, you know what I mean? There's just nothing. But again, that's a recurring thing. And this is all out of Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 to 63. The ninth one is mental and emotional issues. Recurring, again, I'm talking recurring. We can all have panicky attacks and, oh my gosh, you know, I'm depressed. But I'm talking recurring. And the tenth one is if you are constantly being stolen from. If people are constantly stealing from you, if you're constantly being ripped off in business or whatever, these are all signs of a curse. And uh, we'll probably you'll probably have to go to the courts of heaven to um, break the effects of those things. So before we go to the courts of heaven, which we will be doing in, in the last session, what I'm trying to do is to get you to a place where everything is kind of cleaned up. So that, because otherwise we take people into the, and I've learnt the hard way, 
we take people into the courts because of I've got mental health issues or financial loss or whatever. So we sort of kind of do, well, how are you, get the pattern. We take them into the courts. And oh my gosh, the list of accusations, you could be there for hours. You know, they've done this, they've done that, the family's done this, 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 that, I'm thinking. And it's like constantly renouncing, repenting, getting a verdict from the court, renounce, repent, get a verdict from the court. It takes forever. And I don't have the time for this. You know, I mean, I, I believe if God's going to do something, he's quick, sharp and powerful. Amen. Except when he's working in my character, then it seems to be drawn out and painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> honest. <laughs> Nailed to the cross. So, um, so uh, just another area. This is an area where quite often we've had to take people to the court because they haven't realised that they have actually traded the promise or the destiny of God over their life for something else. So it, it's called trading. And Beverly Watkins is bringing a book out on that. I think it'll be later this year it'll be out. Um, but it's called trading. And we all do it. And we've all done it. We just haven't realised what we do. So in Genesis chapter 12... I love Abraham, he's my father of the faith and he talks about the law of faith. That's one of the laws for the kingdom, the law of faith. But he's, he just teaches so much. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, um, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. So here we have a promise and a prophecy. I'm giving this land to your descendants. So God is always generational. So we need to start thinking generationally, like when you are too old for your business, have you set up a legacy? Like I was saying before in the break, Peter Daniels has a legacy where he has enough gold and provision set up for the next eight generations in his family. Right? Because the, the word says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Well, he's just gone down to eight generations. So which is pretty amazing. So God is always thinking generationally. So the minute we stop thinking generationally, we're cutting off the fullness of God's vision. So that's one of the challenges with, um, I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to hurt people. But if there has been an abortion or my daughter died, what that is is not just the loss of one child. It is the loss of the generations that would have come from that life. So God is thinking that way. We sort of tend to think, oh, well, you know, my daughter died. But when my daughter died, the generations that would have come from her um, were also lost. So I didn't realise at the time that she died that there was um, premature death curse in my family. Um, I do now. So, and that stopped. So in, um, he's saying here, Abram, the Lord appeared and said, I'm giving this land to your descendants. Then Abram built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord. So always take time to stop and worship. Stop and dedicate back. Stop and say, God, I just want to thank you so much. Just stop and give him the glory back. But then it says, after that, Abram travelled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. So the interesting thing with that is that Bethel means house of God and Ai is heap of ruins. So Abram has parked himself right in the middle, like he's almost going to make a decision. We've got Bethel, which is the house of God, and Ai, heap of destructions, and Abraham is right here in the middle. 
So he can choose to go either way. And he parks himself there. And he built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord. So he's obviously inclined towards God, right? He built an altar, dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshipped. And then he continued travelling south. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. The circumstance forced him. Other translations say there was a famine and he went to Egypt. But this translation says that the famine put pressure on him that caused him to move away from God and to choose his own path. So in business, in family, in life, any time that you feel pressured by a circumstance or a situation, what is happening is that you are being positioned in a place where Satan is wanting to trade. And he wants to take the prophecy and the promises that God has given you and take them into his possession. Can, can, am I making sense? Sometimes I don't explain as clear as I should. So, okay, well, this might help. Yeah. So Abram had promises of God, right? He had these promises and he had a prophecy. And they were his because God gave them to him. But then there was a, 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 a situation, a famine, which put pressure on Abram to make a decision. And instead of asking God what to do, he chose to go the way he thought. He would go down to Egypt because it would be better down there. So this, the famine forced him to make a decision. He was not led by God. He did not pray about it. He did not follow God's leading. He was pressured by a circumstance to make a decision. And when that happens, because he moved away from following God and he moved into a place of self, what do you call it, preservation, he decided, oh my gosh, there's a famine. It would be better for me to go to Egypt. So what happens then is these promises were traded and went into the hands of the devil or the kingdom of darkness, still belonging to Abram, but they were no longer in his possession because he traded that for self-sufficiency or self-preservation or whatever it might be. So anytime you feel pressured to make a decision, understand what is behind it because the Holy Spirit leads God never pressures you might feel the pressure of time or the pressure of this but you can always stop I go to the loo nobody knocks on the door when you're in the loo so you know if I'm with people and I'm thinking I'm feeling pressured here to make a decision just excuse me for a minute so I'll just go to the loo close it and I'll say okay in the presence of God What's your decision? Because if I make a decision based on pressure, I'm going to do it out of the flesh, which is going to reap a whole lot of devastation. So what happened is these promises are still got Abram's name on it, but they're removed from his possession. And he goes down to Egypt and he actually, you know, sells his wife or gives his wife into Pharaoh's kingdom. So not a good thing. Like if you're a wife, not a good thing. <laughs> So not only has he lost the promises and the prophecy, but also his wife has been removed and placed into somebody else's bedroom, so to speak. And everything is different. So 
and he, he realises, you know, Pharaoh recognises, so he, he grabs his wife and they leave. Um, we'll just go down a little bit further, was it? Yeah, but under verse 17, the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, all that kind of stuff. And Abram got many gifts. Now, when he left that situation, the blessing of God that he promised him in Genesis 12, you know, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great. That blessing was still operating, but there was an open door. Remember what I said about an open door? And so he came down, he, he it was in Egypt, um, and, and then, you know, Pharaoh realized what had happened, so he gives him all these gifts. And then God strikes Pharaoh with plagues and everything. But in amongst the gifts were Egyptian male servants and female servants. And guess who one of the female servants was Hagar, which was the trap of the enemy for the future. So if we leave a door open, it might look like we got out of it okay. Abram looked like he got out of it okay. He got out of it with lots of blessings, right? Lots of good stuff. But he came out of it with a trap and a bait set for the future. And her name was Hagar. So it leaves the door open. That's why you can, that's why if we go to court and we have traded our promises for self-preservation or self-justification or self-whatever, um, that is a huge accusation that's got to be dealt with. So much better just to renounce, repent yourself and then it's, it's not as hard in the courts. But we don't realise what we're doing. So what happened was he leaves Pharaoh and he's got to do the whole trip and come back between Bethel and I again and, and repent and come back to that place and start over. So he had to do a full circle. And, and after he left and he repented, he got the promises and everything back and, and it erupted, but he also had Hagar. So we've got to understand that when pressure comes upon you to make a decision, don't make a decision until you've gotten into the presence of God and you have heard from him. Amen. Nothing is that life or death that you can't take a step back and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. But see, we trade all the time. Jesus traded. Jesus traded heaven to come and live on earth for us. Jesus traded his life for ours. Jesus took my place at the cross. Jesus took the punishment for my sins. That was a trade. So the cross is a place of an exchange. You know, I, I, he exchanged my evil for his goodness. I mean, it's, the cross is a place of exchange. So don't you think the enemy knows how to in, instigate a place of exchange in our lives? So we've got to be aware that we, we can actually trade or exchange our position or our possessions or our promises or prophecies for something that is the flesh. Does that make sense? Don't have to look so terrified. It's just make you aware and then you don't have to do it. That's basically it. But this is what happens in the spiritual realm. What we think what happens is we don't think spiritually. I still don't think spiritually enough, but that's what happened. And so the promise that God gave Abram, you're going to be blessed. All of, how could he have children if Sarah is with Pharaoh? Can't. You know, so the promise still belonged to him, but he had lost access to it. And that's what happened. So 
this, this is really, really important that we recognise when pressure and stress comes that we actually don't trade or exchange the promise, the prophecy, the future, the destiny, the things that God has got us to, to uh, for, for a, a, what we think is, well, it seems to me the only choice I've got. Who's made a decision in business because it seems to me the only decision I've got? We all have at some stage or other. We do it in life. Oh, you know, the way things are. This seems to be the only option I have. If you think that's the only option you have, that is a lie from the enemy because God has a way through. And so recognize that what happens in the spiritual realm is that I have just lost access then to the, to the destiny that God's got for me until I come back to that place. Oh God, I'm so sorry I blew it because I put my needs above yours. If you turn to Revelation 12... Verse 10, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters or the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, by their testimony, and they do not love their lives unto death. So there's three things there that we need to use to defeat the enemy. The blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and that word testimony means a judicial witness. So when I speak forth the testimony, I'm speaking judicially. And then the last one is that the um, do not love our lives unto death. And that word lives actually means our soul. So I have to lay down what I think, my desire, my mindsets, my agendas to pick up the will of God. Living sacrifice basically is what it means. Living sacrifice. That's what life is anyway, isn't it? As a Christian, a living sacrifice. But that word accuser is categorous in the Greek and it means a complainant at law. It means somebody who will take you to court because they've got a complaint against you. So that accuser is, a, is, is somebody who will take court action against you. Yeah, And so what he does is he picks up all that, well, she, she didn't do this and she didn't do that and I accuse her of this and da-da-da. And the easiest way to deal with it is absolutely true. I am sure that I have done that somewhere in my life, absolutely. Like, you know, all my relatives have. Godness knows my relatives have surely done that. But, you know, so I just repent and I claim the finished work of the cross and the blood of the Lamb. And I surrender myself to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. And I stand before the court and I say, guilty as charged. But Jesus has declared me righteous. He has set me free. And the verdict from the court is released on your behalf. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's just recognizing that there are accusations that come against us. A lot of them come from ourselves. One person I took through the courts in Perth, um, you know, we, we, we go through the courts and we say, okay, I'll talk about how and everything later, but we went in and I asked for the accuser to be placed in the dock and for the accusations to be made known. This was the only person who has not been comfortable going into court. 
like we were, I said to her, you ready to go into court? Yeah. So I said, and then just as the court doors open and we're ready to enter, the person grabs him and says, I can't go in, I can't go in. And I was, okay. You know, but eventually, the thing was, they were the ones in the dock accusing themselves. And how many times do we do that? I'm an idiot. Ah, failed again. I can never get anything right. What's the point of doing anything? Nothing ever works out for me. We do it to ourselves all the time. That's why we've got to pull down the weapons of God and replace it with the mind of Christ. God loves you. He loves you. He never once accuses you. He never once points a finger at you. He might convict us by the Holy Spirit and say, I'd like you to look at this, Suze, because there's some stuff there we need to clean up. But it's all, I often say to my, my church, when God convicts me, when God, when God um, has a go, is a bit rough, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what I mean? When, when God wants to clean something up in my life, he talks to me about it, and then it's about an hour later, I go, oh, you just reprimanded me. He did it so lovingly and so nicely. It kind of like, I didn't know I was being reprimanded. You know, he's so beautiful. And we can trust his love. It's just that we're not used to trusting love. And we're not used to trusting goodness. But you can trust him. And when we go into the spiritual courts, it is set up for you to win. Because he loves you. And it's all worked out for you to win. Okay, so it's recognizing um, this. So, but the three keys are we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. So the words that I speak can actually be used in court either for me or against me because out, out of my mouth comes life or death, nothing else. Nothing else, it's life or death. So I'm either blessing or cursing. And then the, the last one is I, lay, I love not my life. I lay down my soul. I lay down who I am as a living sacrifice to live for my king. That's how we overcome. So these, this, this trading thing is really important because we do it to ourselves all the time. We're not realizing what we're doing, but once you recognize it, God, I'm sorry. I repented that. And right away, there's restoration. When you go into the courts, you must make sure at the end of the, the trial that you always ask for restitution, restoration, and recompense. Because a lot of the times we have suffered stress, we've been affected, it's affected our family, our finances, things have happened. I, mean, I want recompense for what I've had to go through. I've got an enemy and I am accusing him through the blood of Jesus and I want restitution. Does that make sense? Can you explain the difference between restitution and recompense? Is it spoils of war? Sorry? Like spoils of war? Spoils of war kind of thing. Restoration of everything lost. Um, recompense for um, stress suffered. And there's always the more with God. There was the, the extra. Interest. Interest. Thank you. Sometimes my words fail me. Interest. Compensation. I just like the three R's so I could remember it. But yeah, compensation. 
restoration, recompense and restitution. restitution. Bear interest, always, always, always ask for that. Restitution is a biblical thing, yeah. often overlooked. It is. Do you want to share on that? I was going to say John Sanford used to speak about that. It's, mm. it's one of the things that when we have wronged somebody else, we <coughs> ask the Lord, how do we make, make restitution? restitution. Mm. Yeah. So that's one of the things. I'm glad you brought that up. When we go into courts, if it is a generational thing, like um, if you're continually being stolen from, it's probably because an ancestor continually stole. Mm. So um, we have to confess that you know this is what's happened my ancestor was a thief fraudulent stole whatever it might be and father god i don't know how you can do this but i pray for every victim that was affected by his by their acts and i pray that there would be restitution out of the kingdom of god for that family line and then you can ask for for yourself okay so we've always got to be thinking of the other side mercy and you know, all of that kind of thing. So I can wake up in the morning, and I think I said this to people in the break, I can wake up in the morning and I feel, oh, terrible. Don't want to get up. Like heavy, oppressed. That is when somebody has prayed against me or has talked about me. And what happens with, with beautiful Christians is that we don't realise what we're doing in the spirit realm. And so they will say, oh, Suzette, can't she see? So, Father, in Jesus' name. And they pray what they think. And it's a soul prayer. So it's witchcraft. Christian witchcraft. Suzette, why did that land on you, though? I mean, a person without a cause will not rot. You know, and we are in Jesus and we do have our things. Yeah. Because obviously there might have been a bit of truth in it somewhere. Soul prayers. Soul prayer is when somebody prays out of their their mind, out of their head, out of what they think. Like when I got divorced, I had a, a, a not a great marriage. When I got divorced and with, with all the small children I had, everybody thought how wonderful it would be for me to remarry. Right? You just you know because I had six small children, you need to get remarried. And I'm thinking I don't need any extra work. <laughs> I've got six small kids. I don't need I don't need anything else. You know I still need healing from the first marriage. Like give me a break. So I've got all these people praying for me to get married. But that wasn't what I wanted. And it wasn't God's will for me at that time. Right? And so they've got this, this pressure on me. And it's not necessarily a curse. It's a pressure. It's an oppression. God's allowed it for some reason. No, it's the, it's, the, it's the realm of the spirit. It's not Because God is not sovereign. In, God is not sovereign in that it affects people's free will. God is sovereign in that he has organized the return of Christ and the, 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 the beast and he's sovereign in a whole lot of other stuff. But when it affects people and free will, God is not sovereign. He has allowed us free will. So there's, there's stuff that happens in the spirit realm when people pray that releases a pressure or an oppression. That is, God still loves me, but he wants me to learn how to function as well. So, um, in Revelation, the accuser of the brethren comes before the throne of God day and night. Day and night, it's constant. In the morning when 
I wake up and I rejoice that I'm here for such a time as this. I actually say now, what's the accuser said about me last night, Lord? And then, and then I'll bring him out of the docks. I'll have a look at his book. Sometimes there's nothing. Yeah. Sometimes there is, and I just can go straight in now, and I'm making that. Yeah. Thing. That's a good thing to do. And I know now when there's an accusation against me, I can just pick it up in the spirit yeah. and just deal with it straight up before it gets any traction. Yeah. So the oppression comes. So people have prayed out of what they think, and they haven't waited upon Father to hear His will. Right. So. <coughs> yes, he does. Yeah. 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 Latent power of the soul. And so, if I can get that oppression in the morning, I wake up and I realize what is on. Just take authority right now, yeah. Father. I thank you that out of pure motives, they've prayed for me. But I take authority over any prayer that has been prayed about me or spoken about me that has not come from your throne room. And I break the power of those words and I cut them off my life right now in Jesus' name. So that's all you do. 30 seconds, done, finished. And then just like that, the oppression lifts. All right? But you've got to recognize what's happening in the spirit because what happens in the spirit is more real than what you see in real life. Yeah, I found a real breakthrough when mentioned that last time and I at times I felt that oppression first thing and it, those prayers mm. really helped and the other thing too often the Holy Spirit's told me just move out of that room for a bit and I come back or and I play sometimes the Lord's led me to play a show for all and yeah. music it's just gone yeah so everybody will have a different testimony but the thing is to recognize I just I just pray now God show me the root of what I'm dealing with I really don't want to waste time just show me the root. Let's deal with that. But Isaiah 54, 17 says that no weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon formed against you can. It doesn't mean it won't be formed. It doesn't say that. It just says it cannot succeed. And every tongue raised against you in judgment is condemned. So I pray that as part of my daily prayer. I condemn every tongue raised against me in judgment, whether it's spiritual or natural. This is my heritage as a servant of the Lord. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so there are actually prayers that you can now craft that will, take, that will stop the effect of accusations in the courtroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll see. Yeah. And the exciting bit, and I'm only feeling you at this, um, I'm only about 12, but the answer comes swiftly. Yes, it does. And I've actually been on the phone with Yeah. It's swift. So in Absolutely. Yeah. If live right, be quick to repent. Right? It's, it's much better to the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Suze. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Close the doors. Yep, close the doors. Yeah. No pigeon poo. Yeah. <laughs> Teflon code. Teflon code. Nothing when sticks. Come up against false accusations and jealousy, it's a hard one. Yep. Yeah. I do wonder a bit how much of this is reinventing the Christian wheel a bit. Because people like, 
Homeless through Christ, Ellen Ministries have been talking about generational cursing for decades. And the lady who cursed herself with it, you know, I'm no good, that's, that's just a, a, work, a self curse that yep. will be the sign of principle that needs to be repented of. And now it's shrouded in a trading term. I, I don't think it's shrouded in a, in a trading term. I think we just don't recognise yeah. spiritual exchanges. Yeah, that's true. So, um, Elijah House have been teaching on this for decades. Uh, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, know anything about Elijah House? I don't think it's been in the church. Has it's been on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said, this is Christianity 101. Yeah. Um, why yeah. weren't we taught this as people in yeah. churches? And I think too it's with, all in the Bible. Yeah, it is. So I think too with the Elijah house and things like that, that's not promoted within church. No, that's right. Okay. So, um, and it, it, it's not reinventing the wheel. What it is, is making it more available to people who don't know so that victory comes into the church. That's right. Well, that's not, that's not my issue. <laughs> it's God's. <laughs> so, you know, we start where we are, we do what we can. Yeah. The thing is, what, what my thing is, my mandate from God is victory. Yeah. Right? That's what God has given me. You are to bring the people into victory and teach them to live it. That's my mandate. And so I release my people to live in their destinies, to fulfill their accomplishment, their, their call of God. But victory. I am not into serving Jesus Christ and walking in defeat because he was never defeated. And I'm his ambassador on this earth. And so there is no way that I will walk in defeat or failure. I might lose a couple of, of rounds, but I don't lose the war. You know, and so you've got to recognize what your mandate is. But Sorry. yeah, Matthew 13. I, I, this is the one that came to me. Was, um, Jesus said, "Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you." Yes. But not to them, not because he's nasty. But I think that I, I feel like that's part of this. Is like you know those who are seeking and asking and knocking and yeah. you know, and it's not a secret that's like some secret, you know. Mm. You can you can find it, you can discover it, you can, but it, yeah, but it's like as if we're, you know, when you're hungry and thirsty, yeah. God will. And we have a nation that has a call to be a sheep nation, Amen. but it doesn't look like it's heading down the right path. We've got so many kids on ice, so many just divorces, as much, many in the church as we do in real life. We have um, families breaking up, we have people in hospital. I take my dad to hospital regularly, he's 89. Um, but I have never seen so many sick people. Like, I mean, yeah. the waiting rooms in the hospitals yeah. are packed. Yeah. And we're thinking in, in this nation where there's a, you know, like not a freedom of food, but there's, there's why are we so sick? Why are there so many mental health issues? Why are there so many kids with ADHD issues? What's going on in our nation? Because we've walked away from the word of God. We've walked away from the truth, you know, and the church has lost its, its voice and it's lost its influence and it's lost its significance in our culture. But that is about to change because God's hand is on our nation and it's time to bring victory into the church so that we are raised up to a position of influence and significance so that the people in the world are actually jealous 
and come and say, what is it that you've got? My family's falling apart, but your family's together. You're always healthy. I'm always sick. I can't get my finances together, but you've got abundance. What is going on with you? You know, or when they walk into your house and they say, I don't know what it is, but I just says there's something different about your house. Should be the same in your business. There's something different in the business. We have got to come back and reclaim what Jesus died for. Yeah? So in John chapter, oh, I can't remember now, 14, I think. Fourteen, um, sixteen. Jesus is saying, he says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. That word comforter actually means defence attorney. Very different to comforter. So the Holy Spirit is your defence attorney. So when we go into the court, Jesus Christ is your advocate. The Holy Spirit is your defence attorney. So you go in like with the best team. You also go in with your father presiding as judge. How good is this, right? How good is this? And we can't call him daddy in court because he's judge, but that's that's what we're walking into. So everything is geared up for you to win. Everything is geared up for you to succeed and and to just knock down the accusations of the enemy. And it could be that Freemasonry was in your family you know, a hundred odd years ago. It could be, you know, for, for me, it was Druidism way back. You know, it's different stuff that brings things down. But the thing is, God sets it up for you to win. So I took a group of people into the courts on the Gold Coast about three years ago, and there was about 30 people. And we went in and we're just giving them a look-see, just make them feel comfortable and, and everything, which the first time I'd ever done it, I was so scared. And we come out... And I said, okay, I said, what were you different, you know, what happened? And one man who never says anything because his wife says everything <laughs> was the first one to speak. And he said, I got there and Jesus said, here's a place for you. And it was right at the front. So he was like, there was a position in life for him. Jesus had made room for him. And he had a voice and he could speak. And that changed him completely. He's now in business for himself. We didn't even go to court for anything against him. It was just for them to see how it operates. Right? Then, so he was like, oh, you know. And then we had another man say, oh, it was wonderful. Everything was pure glass. And I'm thinking, glass? He said the walls were glass. Everything was glass. There was no shadows. There was no hidden agendas. Everything was transparent. It was wonderful. And he's a man who works in a place, only Christian man, in a a quite intense vitriolic kind of a business where um, there's always hidden agendas. There's always manipulations going on, you know, in the boardroom, all that kind of stuff. And so he was like, oh, my gosh, there's no shadows. There's, there's everything's transparent. Everything's open. And his wife said, where were you? She said it was beautiful. It was, it was warm oak. It was so reassuring. So God took each one of us and gave us an individual revelation of how safe the courts of heaven are. They are a safe place to go. You don't go there for every problem. Like you don't in the natural go to court for everything. 
but you do go for those areas where you just can't get the victory. And be prepared for some weird accusations. <laughs> right? You get my... But you just say, okay, well, I just, you know, I repent of that. I'm not going to argue. Oh, well, we had one lady who was, um, came from Vikings. So there was accusations of rape and pillage and all sorts of stuff. And the interesting thing was... Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing was that some of her daughters had been raped. I know one family, there were five generations of women have been raped. That's a curse. So this all comes, so, you know, so look, we said to them, um, you need to repent of um, Nordic stuff. <laughs> you know, like um, rape and pillage and excessive violence and child sacrifice and bloodletting and stuff. And she sort of looked at us like, because I work with the team, and like, what? And then she went, okay. So I don't lead them in a prayer. One of my team always insists on leading them in a prayer, but I don't because I would rather it come from their heart. For me, it's much more important to come from their heart, even if, it does, even if it's not crafted properly, if it's a heart thing, that's what I look for. So I said, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. If you agree, you don't have to agree with this, but if you agree with this, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and just renounce, just renounce the activities of your, of, you know, generations. And so all of a sudden she just broke down and sobbed and it just poured out. So stuff we didn't even like say, but she just, it just came. It just came. It was part of her DNA, right? It was part of her DNA. And she just let it go. And she just renounced and repented of everything. We got a verdict from the court, innocent, because of Jesus. We're not replacing the cross, we're just enforcing his work. Because of Jesus, because of the power of his blood, because of his sacrifice. And as she repented of that, we got the verdict, innocent. And she was so changed. Her face changed. She is a completely different woman completely different in every way um, there's a lightness there's an ease um, it's the, the the testimonies are amazing people say I feel so clean and these are Christians that have been Christians for a long time you know because the, the Christians that come for um, this kind of ministry are sincere and they want to be delivered they they want it finished and they've done everything they know to do. They've sought God, they've prayed, they've repented, they've fasted, they've cried, they've done everything, but there hasn't been the breakthrough. So they come because of that. And they say, I feel so clean, or I feel so light. Or, oh my goodness, the colors are brighter. You know, one man was healed of scoliosis. He'd been going to a chiropractor four times a week. He ended up going uh, once a month, I think, for a little while, because his chiropractor's trying to sort out what happened. <laughs> businesses turn around families are restored and it's almost like an invisible something that was oppressing is removed and the promises of God come with power 
So the courts are set up for you to win because God loves you, absolutely loves you and wants to see you walk in freedom and victory and everything else. Does this make sense? In Luke chapter... Um, oh, is it 19, the woman um, that was bowed over? Or is that somewhere else? You know, um, was you know the woman that was bowed over for eighteen years earlier? Yeah, bound over. Was, is that Luke? Luke what? Um, anyone know where that is? Ah, there we go. Way off. Luke eight forty three. Thank you. See, I could just open my old Bible and just flick to it. You're cheating. I was so impressed with your biblical knowledge. I was thinking, my goodness, we've got a walking Esau blue, blue letter Bible thing happening at the back there. <laughs> no, that's the woman with the issue of blood. Yeah, spirit of infirmity. Do you know where that one is? Luke 13, 11. That sounds a bit it. Luke 13, Here it is, yeah. Thank you. Luke 13, 11. And obviously it was the Sabbath because Jesus always did things to stir up the religious. And he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit or a spirit of infirmity. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. Do you think she hadn't spent 18 years trying to get healed? You know, going to every Sabbath service she could, you know, trying everything she could. Um, and when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Daughter, you are healed of your sickness. And he touched her and instantly she could stand straight and praise God. Or woman, you're healed of your sickness. And then if you go down to um, verse 16, it says, This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she'd be released on the Sabbath? So by saying that this daughter of Abraham, he was acknowledging that she had a covenant with God. Surely you would think the power of the covenant would be powerful enough to set her free. So there was a legal point there that the enemy was holding her in bondage because she was in covenant. That's what Jesus says here. This daughter of Abraham, she's in covenant. But she had, there was a legal access point that the enemy had that held her in bondage for 18 years. And when Jesus said um, that that word bondage actually means legal constraint, legal, legally applied. And then when he released her, he actually broke the covenant that was over her life that had held her in bondage. If you look into the original meanings of the, of the letters, of the words. So he recognised that this woman who was in covenant with Abraham, but the covenant by itself without the proper application of faith and wisdom was not enough to set her free. So it needed to be uh, a, a going straight to the root of the issue. I release you from this covenant of evil. And with that, she stood straight up. So um, quite often you will find that there are covenants that people make <coughs> that because they want to prosper or they want to be something or somebody so they make covenants 
with demonic identities or, or whatever. When you make a covenant, there is a number of issues that you need to be aware of. So you make an, a, a covenant, uh, like a, an evil covenant. The first thing is that it will involve demonic, the demonic. That means that your name will then be put on records in the spiritual realm, that your, the family name is actually written down. You know how God's got the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, there are other records and other books. And so the, 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 the family name will go down like Freemasonry is an, an eternal covenant that just goes on. So that's, that's it. This is that kind of thing. So it goes to this demonic element. Uh, it's the records. Your name is down in records. It's generational. And the last thing is that the name is inscribed on the demonic altar of worship. So we've had people come who have gone through Freemasonry, um, you know, been set free from it, all that kind of stuff, but there's still something not quite free. What is it might be? Their names were not removed from the records of the demonic altar of worship. You must ensure that the names are removed. And then it's fine, absolutely fine. So there's these kinds of things. So there's Freemasonry. People will enter into, into evil covenants. Um, you have the secret societies, um, Illuminati. There's, there's um, just to get ahead in business, show business. Sorry? Mafia. Mafia is another one. And do you know what? If you know people that were served in Vietnam, that our Vietnam vets were cursed by Buddhist monks and that is why a lot of them have rage and anger or their sons have rage and anger that they cannot deal with. Um, so there's all spiritual stuff. Um, do you mind if I ask a question? Um, how do Buddhist monks curse? Like, I thought the Buddhism were all out for good. So <laughs> no. <laughs> so how is that? What, what do they do? It's, it's just, a, it will come with words. Curses come with words. Yeah. So I heard that the, when the helicopters were taking off, the Buddhist monks were on the sides of the mountains and they would curse the people flying in them. So mm. the allied troops said they would be um, restless and that they would never find peace. Yeah, never find peace. And that's why a lot of our vets just can't settle back in. Um, anger terrible stuff and affects families and generations so this is this is what this is why the church has got to wake up because we are not aware of what is going on in the spirit realm and because of that we are taken captive we are imprisoned we're spiritually held in bondage we're, we're in chains and we are it's almost like we're allowed to go thus far and no further thus far and no further it's almost like satan just wants to keep you contained because he doesn't have a huge amount of demonic armies so he is very strategic. So he just wants to keep you contained. So just like, you know, you can go thus far, I've got you contained, but you take a step out of that, man, I'm gonna come on down on you so hard that you won't know what's hit you and you will move back and stay in that containment. So you have gotta recognize that the spirit realm is the reality. 
right? It's the reality. That's the thing that affects us. It affects us financially, it affects our families, it affects our work, it affects everything. And if we don't know what is going on, and I'm apostolic, I am not prophetic, so I don't necessarily see stuff or anything, but I can sense it. And I know when I go into play, whoa, this is not a good place or, you know, whatever. But the thing is, guys, you've got to wake up because it is around you all the time. And you've got stuff in your homes that you don't even know is, is releasing deposits into your lives and into your businesses that shouldn't be there. But it's because it's something that you saw that you liked when you were on travel or whatever, whatever it might be. We've got stuff in our homes that shouldn't be there. We watch stuff on our television that we should never have in our homes. We do things that defy the reality of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's just an open door for the enemy to come in. So well, I'm not going to do anything just now. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait, Suzette, till your ministry is just a little bit bigger. And then when I take you out, it'll affect so many more people. You've got to think with the mind of Christ and recognize that you have an enemy that absolutely hates you and wants to see you totally destroyed and wants to take your family down with you. Right? You have two kingdoms in this, in this world. Two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And both of them are wanting to destroy the other. The kingdom of darkness just wants to destroy the people in the kingdom of light. But the people in the kingdom of light, our king, wants to rescue the people from the kingdom of darkness. Because the lake of fire was never meant for people. It was never meant for people. So we've got to recognise that, that we live in this, this, this spiritual atmosphere, which in Australia is like, hey, it's, it's a lovely country to live. It's, you know, it's lovely weather. Like you look outside, you wouldn't think there was anything demonic happening. <laughs> All right? Looks beautiful. A football game down the field, a bit of this, a bit of that. But you don't see that the, the spirits of addiction and the spirits of alcoholism, the spirits of rage and murder, the spirit of, of, of pedophilia. You know, we don't see these things because we're not looking for them. And I'm not asking you to go looking for demons behind every tree. I am asking you to look for the leading of the Holy Spirit so that you stay squeaky clean, so that you, when you go into the courts of heaven, you can absolutely deliver yourself or the ones you take in so that you are completely set free for eternity. I am so tired of praying, and I rebuke the words tired, but I, you know, you pray for people and they get a victory and then three months later, it's like the victory never happened. We've got to train ourselves to stay in the victory that Jesus Christ gave us. It's 
only the last 12 months, but my prayers have been answered. And so, um, because I, I stopped loving the Lord. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I was so sick. And, and I was so desperate. And I stopped loving my Lord because I, all of the things that were happening to me personally, and yet I, I, I've always loved the Lord. I've always known him. So, so, and so in that, I've been sicker, and I, I was losing my love for the Lord. Yeah. Until this another mystery for such a time as this. Yeah. So let me just say this. Jesus did finish it. It is the finished work of the cross. However, there are still guerrilla enemy agents on the planet and we have to enforce his victory. And there are areas that there are, uh, there are landmines, there are traps and all that kind of stuff. So we just need to be aware. But the victory of Jesus is complete, but we actually have to apply it and enforce it. Okay. I always use it this way. I say, the devil we know is a liar. So he can bring, like, we will have a debt if you've paid off and you have paid the debt. But somebody can still come and say, oh, oh you still owe on this, and we can still pay because he's a liar. Mm. So he can still, yes, Jesus has finished it. So it's us to say, he cancelled that debt if we no longer yeah. owe on that. And it's almost pushed that back. Yeah. Godly covenant, the one we have with God through Jesus Christ. Um, I've got some, some covenants with, with brothers and sisters in the Lord that we have covenanted to walk together. And that means that they can call on me day or night for anything. I can call on them day or night, for, but we have covenanted to walk together and to support it. We're supposed to be in covenant with each other anyway, yeah. right? Shouldn't be such a big deal. Um, godly covenants. Marriage. marriage. Yeah. Thank you, because I'm divorced. I would never think of that. <laughs> marriage. <laughs> marriage is a good godly covenant. Yeah. Um, any others? Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Let me just finish with this. Releasing justice, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about how to enter the courts and how to hear from the accuser in the last session. But you needed to know how to stand and to walk through this. It's, you know, people going into the courts unprepared is just disastrous. Al Houghton was approached on the Sunshine Coast by a woman whose daughter had been date raped. Uh, Rina, Rina, was it? Rohypnol. Um, and she was a Christian. Her daughter was a Christian. And she had been raped. And the man that did it had just come out of court being charged with it to two other girls, but he was acquitted. So as far as they knew, her daughter was maybe the third or fourth victim. And because she was a Christian, she didn't think, well, where was God when I needed him? How did God let this happen to me? You know, so all of this. And the mother was concerned because the daughter was losing faith and was walking away. So she came to Al Houghton and she said, I want justice. And he's the justice guy. And he said, well, I want, and she said, will you pray with me? And he said, well, let me ask you two questions. One, are you in any kind of sex sin? Because if you are, I'm not going to pray. And she said, no, I'm, I'm squeaky clean. And he said, okay. Second, are you willing to pray for the salvation of the man that raped your daughter? 
and it took her, you know, she had like a reaction here, oh. but she said, yes, I am. He said, okay. <clears throat> so he prayed and he always prays prayers of justice, standing in the covenant of the sure mercies of David. So he, he prayed and he said, God, I'm standing in the covenant of the sure mercies of the covenant of David. And we come together to ask for justice. And we pray for this man. And we pray for his salvation. We pray that he would be turned around, that you would transform his life, that he would have an encounter with Jesus Christ, which would absolutely just totally change who he is and what he does. However, if he will never bow his knee to Jesus for the sake of future victims, cut him off. Two days later, he was dead. So what I'm talking about, justice and the courts of heaven is not a light subject. Yeah. That's all right. It's coffee time. Is there any way that we have known whether there's the potential for salvation? I mean, that's something... That's only God. That's why he said, God, if he will never. God is the only one who knows. So that we... And, and cutting him off is not saying, God, kill him. It's just saying, God, we kind of like... Get rid of the enemy. Any way you want to do it is fine. Yeah. It was, but he died in a, a motorbike accident two days later. So what I'm saying is, this is serious stuff. It's powerful, but it's what we're meant to walk in. The important thing is that you never make a decision based on another person. Like you can't pray something like that without asking God if if they will never bow their knee. You must always pray for their salvation. Pray they will have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Pray those things. And then God, if they will never, for the sake of future victims, cut them off. And then that's up to God, how he does it, when he does it, all of that. That's not on your hands then. But we have to start taking a stand for the kids that are being abused, mm -hmm. for the pedophiles that are walking away from court systems, mm -hmm. for, the, for the rape victims. We've got to start somewhere releasing the justice of God yes. upon our planet. Yes. And it might as well start with us in our lives because yeah, yeah. we've got to start small. Mm -hmm. All right, but it's up to God. God, you, you work in their yes. lives, you change them. But if they will never, mm. never bow their knee to Jesus, then cut them off. And then that's up to God how he does it and what he does it. Coffee time?